It's Tuesday, October 23rd, and this is The Daily Dive. The migrant caravan from Central America continues to make its way north on its way to the U.S.-Mexico border. President Trump also continues to express his displeasure and push his immigration policy, blaming the caravan on Democrats, calling some of the migrants criminals and unknown Middle Easterners, and vowing to cut financial aid to the countries they are fleeing from. Ted Hessen, immigration reporter for Politico, joins us to discuss the caravan and its impact just before the midterm elections. Next, the health and wellness industry is booming, but the problem is we are still fatter than ever. Despite promises made by gyms, fitness programs, and fad foods, American diets are still terrible. Steph Kite, demographics reporter for Axios, joins us to talk about how much fast food we eat and how our bodies are living in an environment that supports obesity. Finally, that hack that Facebook announced last month was not done by some nefarious nation state. Rather, it was done by spammers looking to make money through deceptive advertising. The problem is, you shouldn't rest any easier knowing it was spammers. My producer Miranda joins us to talk about how all of your personal data will only increase scams and spamming campaigns and make them more profitable. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. We have a lot of everybody in that group. It's a horrible thing, and it's a lot bigger than 5,000 people. And we got to stop them at the border. And unfortunately, you look at the countries, they have not done their job. Joining us now is Ted Hessen, immigration reporter for Politico. We're going to be talking about the migrant caravan that continues its way north towards the U.S.-Mexico border. Reports are a little all over the place. There was some saying that there was more than 5,000. I saw a report that said maybe up to 7,000. So it's just continuing to grow in each new country that it gets to. They're in Mexico now. Some reports, depending on the point of entry, saying they could be 1,100 miles away, maybe 2,500 miles away. The president now has said that he wants to start reducing aid to the countries that they're fleeing from. He was talking about that in a series of tweets. What do we know about what he said? We've seen the president talk tough on this issue, and this is nothing new. I mean, this goes back to the last time there was a caravan back in April. I mean, I think the one difference we have here is we're now at the doorstep of November's midterm elections, and this is a political issue for him, obviously. He really wants to make it about his policies and need for a border wall versus what the Democrats stand for, what he characterizes as open borders. He's saying that these countries, you know, Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, they're not doing enough to keep these people there. I know Mexico's National Guard, there's, you know, some military guys, they put up a road blockade at one point, but then they tore it down right away. I guess maybe there was too many people or they knew they weren't going to be able to handle it. The countries are doing something, maybe just not enough. And like I said, now he wants to start cutting aid. I think last year, these three countries had more than a combined $500 million in funding from the U.S. I think so far this year, it's been about $200 million. The aid has been shrinking in recent years to begin with. Back in 2017, it was somewhere around $700 million to mostly to these three Central American countries, Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador. And then in 2018, down to $615 million. And now it's been proposed by both the House and the Senate to bring it down somewhere in the $500 million range. And the, and, and the Trump administration was actually asking for even lower 
somewhere in 400 million. So even before all this happened, President Trump was already proposing to cut aid to these Central American countries. So that in itself is nothing new. I mean, what is interesting, though, is that he doesn't really have the power to do that on his own. I mean, right. these, these are bills passed by Congress, and Congress will consider what amount to give in Central American aid when the time comes. And the president being very forceful on this stuff does give some political cover to Republicans who have to push this through because the Democrats are going to be on the opposite side of it. With regards to the midterms, you know, he's saying whenever you see these people come across and these criminals and unknown Middle Easterners and everything, keep the Democrats in mind. We have to change our crappy immigration laws. So he makes it about the midterms and everything, and he provides a little cover by being forceful. But is there that much political will on the part of Congress to do something? I, I mean, there was some immigration bills that tried to pass this past year and none of them went through, even some of the ones that the White House was backing. I mean, I think you really need to consider uh, his words in the context of where we are right now and only being two weeks away from the midterm. And I think this is an issue that is really important to Republican voters. It, it seems like it's going up in interest in recent weeks and less so for Democrats, essentially as a way for them to mobilize their base to get them out to the polls. Now, whether any of these proposals, you know, border wall, slashing funding to Central America, rewriting asylum laws, I mean, these are all really big projects. And even maybe a year ago, a little less than a year ago, when Congress was working in a bipartisan fashion to address them, they really struggled to do so. And uh, they weren't able to advance any legislation. And the White House opposed the bills that had the most support. So it's hard to imagine that after the midterms, with Democrats likely to take back some ground in the House, if not win it entirely, that they'd come back to the table and work out a better deal. What has been the reaction from the leaders of these countries, Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador? I know the Mexican, the incoming Mexican president has suggested that the U.S., Canada and Mexico work out some funding development for poor areas of Central America and Southern Mexico. What are these companies trying to do to reduce this type of migration? The presidents of the, the Northern Triangle countries were up in Washington, D.C. not too long ago for a summit that was convened by the U.S. and Mexico jointly to talk about these very issues. And, you know, for the most part, they're open to cooperating on security issues, but there are clearly limitations. And in some cases, those are economic limitations and not having the funding to do it. And as I mentioned before, with U.S. funding is being cut towards these kind of projects in Central America right now. And then in other cases, it's political and it's because of political instability in their home country. I mean, Honduras in particular is an example where... Um, the president there, Juan Orlando Hernandez, is a strong U.S. ally, but won a narrow re-election and doesn't really have much of a mandate to govern. You definitely have different situations in each country and different capacities as to how they're able to address this. Ted Hessen, immigration reporter for Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. When we think fast food, we immediately think, okay, McDonald's and Burger King and Taco Bell, the cheap and popular fast food restaurants that we all know, love, sometimes hate. But I think the definition of this for this particular study was a little bit broader. Joining us now is Steph Kite, demographics reporter for Axios. We're going to be talking about the health and wellness industry and how it's booming and they're making more money than ever and while they're promoting a bunch of different products and, and services and, and gyms and all this stuff to make people get healthier, feel healthier, it's a sad story, but we're fatter than ever. <laughs> we're, we're, it's not balancing out how much money 
is being spent on the industry and it's not translating over to uh, people's health, really. What do we know about what's going on with this dichotomy here? The U.S. has one of the most lucrative fitness industries in the world, comparing it to other countries. There is far more revenue for U.S. companies that are focused on fitness than anywhere else in the world. And as I mentioned in my article, there are lots of these trends and fads that we see, especially with the rise of social media and Instagram fitness models and health gurus. And we have Michelle Obama, who made SoulCycle really popular. There's the Whole30 diet. There's all this stuff going on. Lots of people willing to pay lots of money for these fitness programs and diets. But when it all boils down, we're still seeing obesity rates for Americans rise and rise. And one of the key reasons for that when you're looking at those two pictures is that a lot of people think, oh, well, if I just work out more, then I'll lose the weight. And when I talked to a few dietitians and health experts, they just said that physical exercise really does very little when it comes to weight loss and preventing obesity. So while it's super healthy in a lot of other ways, it's not super, super helpful for weight loss. Right. Just on that whole line right there. You can't forget about CrossFit. I feel like there's a little CrossFit gym on every block. There's one right around the block from my house as well. Uh, physical activity is not enough. It's, it is about our diet. The food that we eat mm-hmm. is just, I mean, not the healthiest ever. People eat fast food every single day, basically. Yeah. More than a third of Americans eat fast food every day. And interestingly, the more income that person has, the more likely it is that they're eating fast yeah. food every day, which that, is super fascinating. That was the one that got me the most because mm-hmm. people always make up uh, you know, these fast food traps and these fast food cities that are in low income areas mm-hmm. because you know parents are working all the time and they don't have time to be cooking for their kids. And that's kind of the line of thought. But as if family income is increasing, people want to cook less. I I don't know what it is. It it could still be that parents are working a lot or something. But that Mm -hmm. was just the one that was kind of shocking to hear. Yeah, it is super interesting. And I had the same reaction. I think there are two possible explanations that you're looking at. First of all, it's the definition of fast food. And I think when we think fast food, we immediately think, okay, McDonald's and Burger King and Taco Bell, the cheap and popular fast food restaurants that we all know, love, sometimes hate. But I think the definition of this for this particular study was a little bit broader. It was any food from a fast food restaurant or pizza place. And so we're looking at probably sweet green and these other kind of more expensive and maybe a little bit healthier, maybe not quite as bad for you type of fast food restaurants. And so I think that plays into the reason why we see people with higher incomes also eating out more regularly. The only other thing I would point out is that often people in the higher income levels, you have both spouses working where maybe there's no one at home to make the food as readily as maybe more middle class people, or maybe there's only one person working as opposed to both spouses working. So that could be another factor playing into this. Right. Yeah. You're talking about people wanting the the healthier stuff and all natural stuff, plant-based stuff. You know, people are mm-hmm. digging in for more of this research and more of this quote unquote healthy stuff. So yeah, that also figures into the whole fast food thing. And, you know, Absolutely. we're talking about this whole health and wellness thing overall, the industry just booming. I mean, Mm -hmm. a lot of it has to do with media coverage. You know, it's trendy Mm -hmm. to be healthy now and it's trendy to have that lollipop that makes you lose weight or something. So a lot of times we do look to social media and things like that. And you see the celebrities pumping out all these things. Uh, Brands will align themselves with doctors like Dr. Oz. Mm -hmm. And he's gone through a bunch of problems 
legally because he's saying try these products and they might not necessarily work. But that's the other angle of this as is that a lot of these health products and things in the health industry are getting a lot of media coverage. There is a lot of media coverage and it's unregulated to the most part. It doesn't need to be approved by a doctor or a scientist or have studies backing up that this particular diet or this particular fitness program or this particular lollipop or product actually does help with weight loss or actually does give you serious health benefits. And that's one of the things that one of the, the doctors and obesity experts I talked to was concerned about is that what happens is there are these fads and the research comes after the fact instead of before something becomes very popular. And it makes it very difficult for people to figure out how can we actually help people who are struggling with their weight or struggling with obesity? How do we actually get to the core issue there when there are all these different trends going on in celebrities, as you said, coming on and endorsing things that may or may not actually be super helpful for people? The bottom line mm-hmm. of your article, which is I thought very interesting, the quote is, our bodies are now supportive of an environment that really supports obesity. And that's mm-hmm. kind of all this stuff put together. You also continue saying that things in the medical community and insurance regulations, they're slow to help people that become obese until after they've been diagnosed. Of. So this is the whole notion exactly. of preventative medicine. You know, mm-hmm. we're not getting that a lot. Exactly. People are buying into the fads and like you said, the other parts of the industry than actually boiling down to it. And that's something that was frustrating to some of the doctors that I spoke to for this piece was that once someone is diagnosed with high blood pressure or diabetes or high cholesterol, then doctors know what to do. They know what prescriptions to sign off. And that's why we haven't seen, even though we've seen obesity rates rise, we haven't seen high cholesterol or or diabetes or high blood pressure rates rise as well. We've seen them pretty much hold steady and for some of them drop a little bit, which is super interesting to me. But the reason that is, is because they're actually receiving medication. Steph Kite, demographics reporter for Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. That's a big problem because most people don't change their information on Facebook. It's what they call static. So it stays the same for many, many years unless you go through some kind of major life change or you decide to delete all your info. Joining me now is my producer, Miranda. We're going to be talking about Facebook and this announcement they had at the end of last month where they said that 30 million accounts had been affected by a data breach. People got in there and took names, phone numbers, The emails of about 15 million Facebook users, 14 million others had their usernames, date of birth, gender, devices that they used on, language settings, all sorts of stuff. They even took information such as your check-ins and places that you've been. So everybody was very concerned. They you know, let everybody know. Thankfully, mine wasn't one of the accounts that got hacked. But at first, everybody was very confused. Who would want to do this? People thought it might have been some nation state, Russia, North Korea, trying to hack the elections again or something like that. Nobody knew what it was. Wall Street Journal reports said that it might have been spammers who actually did this. What do we know about this, Miranda? Oscar, my account also didn't get hacked, thankfully. Lucky. But it was spammers who wanted to get your information and not because they're trying to steal your credit card information, but it's so that they can get as much information and detail from you and everybody on your friends list so that they can directly market products, services, features to you. This is a group of marketing people that have been known to Facebook for doing kind of sketchy data collection. Facebook will give your information up to them, whatever you allow to be posted publicly. But they used a feature called view as where you can set your profile and look at it as if you're 
trying to watch your Facebook page from the outside. Like, I'm not a friend of yours, Oscar. I want to see what your page looks like. I can see maybe you have your age and your city where you live as public information. That's the kind of stuff that they could get. But there were three rare bugs in the coding software that allowed for these bad actor marketers to sneak in the back door and get all kinds of information that they shouldn't have had access to. Right. They were stealing these little things called digital tokens, which granted them that little bit of access. And I was saying they were taking phone numbers, email addresses, all this stuff. The one that kind of creeped me out the most was they were taking your check-ins so they knew where you had been and restaurants that you've been to, things that you bought, all that stuff. And the real worry about this, I mean, you can be relieved that it wasn't Russia, North Korea, or China taking your information but you shouldn't also be that relieved because all this is going to increase is those crazy robocalls that you hate, those email spam messages and scams that you get, those sophisticated campaigns where they say, hey, we got a lot of your sensitive data. If you don't pay us off, we're going to release it. And because they have all this very clear, identifiable information about you, it makes it seem like those scams are so much more credible. That's a big problem because most people don't change their information on Facebook. It's what they call static. So it stays the same for many, many years unless you go through some kind of major life change or you decide to delete all your info. And even then it doesn't matter because it still exists out in the cash virgins. And this is genuine information coming from you. You're putting this onto your Facebook as a means of sharing your life on social media. So this is all true information. I really went to that restaurant. I really bought this handbag or something. You know, I mean, those are that's what makes it even worse because when they turn it into these scams, all the information rings true. It reminds me of one of my favorite scams only because it was so funny. People were targeting people with saying, hey, we know what porn sites you're on and what you're looking at. And they use like an old email that you might have used and they have a password, an old password that you have. All this information totally rings true. And it's like, whoa, I don't want anybody to know what porn sites I'm on. (laughs) I'm going to pay you, you know, whatever Bitcoin you want and everything. I thought this was a great line. They said that Facebook is the new stolen credit card in terms of the data and the value it provides to all the criminals. But they're saying that it's worse because of the static information. It's not like you can go and change your bank account information or close your card and apply for a new one. This is information that holds true and stays true for a very long time. And that's the next point. The lifespan of your data goes beyond, hey, the breach happened at the end of September. Facebook makes some adjustments in October and then you're safe again. That's not what happens. So not true. Yeah. The attackers who take the data may monetize it for themselves for months or years while they're waiting for the FBI to do their investigation, come up with nothing. And Facebook says, well, we increase all the security, so it's probably fine. It's so not because once the original people who stole your information sit on it and use it and they're done with it, then they sell it to the second tier people who then do the same thing, sell it to the third tier people. And this could live for decades. In the meantime, just stay tuned for, like I said, robocalls that you hate to get, more email scams. And that's one of those other problems that changes the psychology of those things. Right now, they're pretty simple. You know, oh, this email doesn't make sense at all. Spam. This text message from an unknown contact doesn't seem right. Spam. Get rid of it. Don't pay attention. Don't click the link. But as they know more and more really personal details about you, they might catch you. You get confused by... That one little detail that they do know and, you know. Why is Oscar emailing me? Ask me for my email password. Does right. he need to get into my computer at work? And we've shared that and him. we've shared that kind of informa- information before because sometimes I need to log into your computer for, you know, a, a, an audio file or mm-hmm. something for the podcast and things like that. And yeah, exactly. So that's how tricky that this stuff gets. So while it wasn't China, Russia, North Korea, any nation state, 
spammers that got your information might be just as bad. Thank you, Miranda. Thank you, Oscar. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive. Daily Dive.